0: Can I move this? Can I move that? Thank you. Hey, well I'm glad to be with you guys again today. I love the tables. A couple reasons. One, it does mean that like, food is coming, so um, that's good. But I think it's very New Testament, right? Like when we read through the book of Acts and through the, other, the letters that Paul wrote, the, the early church would gather and break bread together. So that was done in in celebrating again, like the Lord's Supper, where they would break the bread. And so, when we break bread, we remember Jesus. And and those those were meals that they had. And so, um, it's it's great when the church comes together and and eats a meal together. So I'm gonna, if y'all don't mind, I'm gonna stay for lunch and uh, eat with you guys. I heard that Jim and Sandra were gonna get up in the middle of my sermon. And that I shouldn't take offense because they were going to get the food. So I won't, I won't be offended. Um, okay. I'm grateful for Pastor Jonathan and grateful for, his as he was praying just now and, and thinking about mission. But we're going to talk about that today. So if you want to turn to Psalm 67, we're going to get there very, very quickly. But I, I want us to think for a minute about... Um, this idea of mission. Uh, Psalm 67 is a very missional psalm, and I would argue that the whole Bible is a very missional book. If we're not careful, uh, we will take this idea of mission or missions, and and we'll we'll make it a part of our church. It'll be like a subcategory in the budget, right? Hey, we got some missions budget here. Let's do something for our community. Let's do something in our community. Maybe if we can... Build that budget a little bit bigger. Let's do something where we go, and uh, we send some folks on an international trip. That would be awesome. So we, if we're not careful, we can, we can have this little category of our church life that we call mission, and then we've got other stuff in church life that, depending on how we look at it, may be more important, maybe a little bit less, but that's not the right way to look at mission. God has always been on mission. So when we think of mission, and we think of you know Jesus Acts one eight, sometimes that's the verse we'll think of with mission. When Jesus had he had died, he had been buried, he had been raised from the dead, he had appeared to his disciples and to others, and then he was getting ready to ascend. As he's giving his great commission, he's telling his disciples what to do. He says, "I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth." Uh, That idea that God wants everybody to know about His greatness to know about His salvation, to know about Him. And that's always been at the heart of what God is doing. We're going to look at that this morning as we think about Psalm 67. Um, I also want to encourage you guys, mission, uh, we, want to, we want to go. That's part of mission is going. Uh, I think part of mission is praying, right? We just pray. We want to pray for the lost. Uh, Jesus told us in Luke ten two, the harvest is plentiful but we need to pray for laborers to go into the harvest, right? So we want to be going. We want to be praying for more people to go. We want to be giving. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Lottie Moon and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and what that looks like. But um, I, I love to, to think about, to talk about, when we read our Bibles, we see mission is everywhere because God is a missional God. It's why He sent His Son. We celebrate that at Christmas, um, God's own mission. We're, we are a result of that mission, but there's yet more to do. So Psalm 67, the the, the title we're going to work with here is God's Blessing is for all the nations. God's blessing is for all the nations. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into Psalm 67. God, thank you for your word that you speak to us. God, ultimately, we thank you that. Uh, Jesus was the perfect Word, the perfect revelation. God, Your grace and Your truth shown to us how, how the Word, Jesus, became flesh and He dwelt among us. God, You want us to know You. God, you desire that we be in relationship with you. God, I believe as we we read today, we're going to see that you, God, you want to bless us. So God, I pray that we would be people who receive that blessing and God, we receive it in the right way. Help us as we read your word. Help us as we study it, work in our hearts through the power of your spirit. I pray you would change us In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 67, verse 1, says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Here's the big idea that we're going to work with today. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. So, so God's blessing, another way to say that is God's blessing that we read about here, that we experience in our daily lives, God's blessing has a purpose. It has a point. There is a reason that God blesses his people. It is for the sake of his praise among all the nations. Notice there, In verse 2, there's a purpose clause in the language, right? Uh, Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face to shine upon us. We love that. It's beautiful, right? The reason, so that, the purpose for the blessing is that his way might be known on earth, his salvation among all the nations. I believe what the Bible is saying here is God's blessing poured out on me, it's not all about me. God's blessing poured out on us, it's not all about us. The the statement, God loves me, is true. It's a true statement, God loves me. But it's not the whole story, right? It's not the ultimate story. God's blessing is meant to overflow from me, from us, and go to all peoples and nations, so that the whole earth will be filled with His glory. That's what the Bible teaches us. So we're going to look today, real quick, three aspects of the character of God that make Him praiseworthy. So if you're taking notes, uh, they're going to be simple, they're easy to write down. Uh, uh, Three aspects of the character of God that make Him praiseworthy. And the first one is this, God is a gracious Savior. God is a gracious Savior. Look at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May He make His face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. God is gracious. Guys, that God is a gracious Savior, this is good news. This is good. When we talk about the gospel, we talk about the good news of Jesus, that he came down to save us, that God is gracious to us and blesses us. This is good news. Actually, if you'll notice there at the end of verse 1 in, in your Bible, so we know that the Psalms were songs, right? These are songs that the Hebrew people would have sang in worship and praise to the one true God. And there's a word after verse 1. It's selah. That's in the original text. I believe it's part of the inspired word that God gave to us. And that word probably means, it's a musical term, it means to kind of pause. To stop for just a minute and think about what's being said, what what we're singing to God. When we think about God being gracious to us and blessing us and making his face to shine upon us, that's a good time to stop and meditate on that and think about the grace of God and the blessing of God on us. That word gracious also can mean merciful. God shows us mercy. God's grace, we know that's when, when we get what we don't deserve. Right? Jesus coming and dying in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, as we got something we did not deserve. God's mercy when we don't get what we do deserve, right? Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses. I've probably quoted it here before. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's grace, God's blessing, His mercy poured out on us through Jesus God is a gracious Savior. That word bless there in verse 1, God blesses us. It, it comes from the root word to kneel down. So imagine someone is, is uh, I, actually I was saying about this, the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told in Luke uh, where the man has been injured. He's, he's laying on the side of the road and two people pass him by, right? They, they're, they're too busy. They're, they're, they're running. They're doing their thing. But there's this Samaritan that comes and says he had compassion, grace, mercy that this idea that we're seeing here about God. He had compassion and he goes over and he helps that man. I'm guessing in the story he would right he would have he would have knelt down because the man is laying on the ground. Imagine us in our helpless, sinful state. And God blessing us, God kneeling down to help us up, right? The Bible in Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, he emptied himself. He didn't just grasp on, he didn't white knuckle that glory that he had in heaven. He let go of it so that he could empty himself. He could be incarnate. He could come down as a man to where we are, in essence, kneeling down to us so that he could bless us. And then there it says that God would make his face to shine upon us, it's it's like God is smiling down on us. The my mom has told me this. My dad's told me too. I was the firstborn uh, in my family. Firstborn. There's three boys. I'm the best one, and uh, I'm kidding, right? Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe I'm not kidding. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, my. <I> think <laughs> I was a little bit spoiled at times. My brothers got a little salty about some of that stuff. But anyway, I, I went overseas for 17 years, and I became—I went to the bottom of the totem pole really quick. Right? I took all my all my my parents' grandkids over to the other side of the world. They didn't like that very much. But whenever I was a newborn, my mom said that my dad would come home from work, and I was laying in this little crib, and he would just come home. And he would sit next to the crib in a chair, looking, kneeling over me, smiling at his son that had just been born. He just couldn't get over the fact that he had a little boy. That's beautiful, right? That makes me feel special, knowing that my dad loved and and cared for me in a way that he just wanted to look at me, right? Guys, that's the picture that we get of our Heavenly Father, In Psalm 67, verse 1 right here, God being gracious, God blessing, God kneeling over us, God making His face to shine on us, Him smiling on us, so that His ways might be known. Here's what we learn. God wants us to know Him. That word know means to understand or to know by revelation, to know by experience. God wants us to be in a relationship with Him. He wants us to know His salvation. God is a gracious Savior. From the very, very beginning, it's always been God's plan that He would save us. Uh, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, when God created, and, and it got finally to the point of He's going to create man and woman. He's going to create us, people. He created us differently, guys. It says He created us in His image. From the very beginning, God's plan was that we would have a relationship with Him. We're not animals. We're people created in His image, made for a relationship with Him. In Genesis 3, we see that relationship broken, right? When sin enters into the world. But even in that, and we've talked about this, Genesis 3.15, God makes the promise. He says, I'm going to send one through the woman, who will crush the head of the serpent. What he's saying there is, I will defeat sin. I will be victorious over sin and death. I'm going to send my son to do that. That's the promise that's beginning to be revealed. Even in Genesis 3, the promises that are made to Abraham point to salvation through Jesus. The promises that are made to David, we're going to talk about those more in a minute. 2 Samuel 7, the promises that are made to David, the king, right? And God tells him, I'm going to send one who will be king on this throne forever and ever and ever. God's telling us there as he makes that covenant with David, he's going to send his son who will be the king forever. The promises that we see throughout the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, even in the law, even in the law that God gave, it's that Galatians tells us, it's like that school teacher. That, that's correcting us, right? No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Parents, you ever feel like you're telling your kids that all the time? No, you can't do that. That's okay. Uh, uh, the law did that. And when we let the law do its work, it points us to Jesus, the one who came and fulfilled the law. God wants us to know about his salvation. Uh, and he wants us to know that His salvation is not just about us, right? It's about Him. It's about His glory. Look at Isaiah 42. If you want to write that down, or, uh, you can turn there and read it later. Isaiah 42. We've already looked at a little bit of Isaiah. When it talks about the glory of God filling the whole earth. Uh, in Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 8, Notice this this continued theme of God's gracious love, Him being a gracious Savior uh, so that the nation, so that all could be blessed. This is what God the Lord says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. This is messianic words here. This is talking about what Jesus will come to do. He'll be a covenant, that new covenant for the people. A light to all the nations so that they can know about God's salvation. Verse 7, in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. Verse 8, I am the Lord that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God is jealous for his glory. God blesses us. He saves us for a purpose so that not just we can know about him, but that the whole world, all of the nations could know about his salvation. Number one, God is a gracious savior. Number two, The second thing we learn, the aspect of God, that he's praiseworthy, is that God is a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge. We look there and uh, we see this in, well, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. If God being a sa- a gracious savior is good news, then God is a righteous judge, that is sobering news. He's judge. God decides, he discriminates between right and wrong. He is the lawgiver. The Bible tells us over and over again that God is holy. That creates a problem for sinful people. Right? what do we do with that? Well, there's good news. God doesn't just stand from a distance and point his finger at us to strike us down. Sometimes I hear people communicating things like that. Um, That's not what God's doing right now. That word is, in verse 4, this isn't to say that God, there won't be judgment and at the end time. We may get to that. I don't know if we have time for that today. But that word judge here in verse 4, that word also means to enter into the controversy and to plead for justice. So God is judging, but God's also entering into this judgment himself because he has a role to play in that. I was in a courtroom for the first time a few weeks back um, and it was, it was a little bit uh, sobering. Uh, It was also intimidating. Uh, I wasn't in trouble, Uh, but uh, my wife and I were there with a friend and I watched the proceedings and, and there's the judge and she sat up there. Um, I'll tell you what was nice to see. She was kind. um, She was gracious. um, I was grateful for that. But still, the law is the law. And I saw a friend come in, and I saw this uh, lawyer come next to her to advocate for her. I thought that was a beautiful picture of someone advocating for someone else What would have been even more beautiful is it? imagine if that guy, the defendant, the, 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 the defense attorney, would have said, hey, I know that she deserves this punishment, but can I take that punishment for her so that she could go free? Imagine if a defense attorney did that. Guys, that's what Jesus did. Jesus entered into the controversy and he pleads for our justice. It says that he judges with righteousness, he judges with equity. That means that he creates a level playing field, right? There was a mountain of sin that we would have had to climb to get to God, and even if there's no way to do it, guys. We just can't make it up that mountain. Jesus made a level playing field through his death on the cross, his advocacy for us so that we could approach a righteous God. Turn with me real quickly to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to go Hebrews 2, then we're going to go Romans 3 because I want you to see how this points us to Jesus, especially in light of this Christmas season, uh, that we call it the Advent season, right? That, that word Advent means coming. So it's the, the coming, the first coming of Jesus. We sang about it. There's a, there's a second coming yet to be had. But this Christmas season, this Advent season, we think about Jesus, the Son of God, leaving His throne, leaving His glory in heaven, emptying Himself, taking on flesh. We call that the incarnation, right? He became, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John 1.14, Philippians 2 tells us that he became an obedient servant even to the point of death. Why did Jesus, the Son of God, have to become a man? Hebrews 2, verse 14 helps answer that question. Now, Since the children, this is talking about us, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, flesh and blood, so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. Remember earlier we referred back to Genesis 3.15, where Jesus is going to come and crush the serpent. Hebrews 2.14 is telling us, Jesus came down so that he could crush the serpent. He's going to defeat the one who holds the power of death. Verse 15, And free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Go down to verse 17. Therefore he, Jesus, had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. That word atonement points, atonement points us to Judgment. It points us to righteousness, righteous judgment, just like we read about in Psalm 67. Jesus came so that, he could, so that sin could be judged, and Jesus is actually the one that takes the judgment for us. Romans 3, verse 21, says a very similar thing. Romans three twenty one says this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. We talk about that level playing field that Jesus created, right? There's no distinction. Guys, we're all in the same boat, right? Uh, we, we, we all have sinned. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God And verse 24, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, God presented Him as an atoning sacrifice in His blood, received through faith to demonstrate His righteousness or His justice because in His restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God made a way for us to be saved. God presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus came to take the punishment for our sin. Jesus came so that God can be a righteous judge. There will be a day when Jesus is on the cross, the penalty for sin is being paid. The the wrath of God is being poured out to judge sin. And that's why Jesus had to die and be buried. Received by faith, Romans 3. If we will put our faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. There will be another day that God will come to judge sin righteously. And those who are in Christ, no condemnation. Jesus has already paid that penalty. Those who are not in Christ, there will be condemnation because they're not clothed in the righteousness that we have in Jesus. So when we think about God as a righteous judge, it's sobering news. There's also hope in it. There's also that message of salvation that comes through Jesus, the one who paid the penalty and took the judgment that we deserved. So, number one, God's a gracious Savior. It's good news. God is a righteous judge. It's sobering news. The number three is this. God is a sovereign king. Now, this is awe-inspiring news. Our God is the king of the whole world. He leads, he governs, he guides, and the peoples will praise and fear him. We read that Again, verse 3, Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness, and you lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Sometimes we, we I think struggle, I do sometimes, to understand the magnitude of what it means to live somewhere where there's, there's a king. Right? That before there would be the king and when the king is is on the throne, you don't just you don't just like haphazardly approach the king. Right? You approach him with reverence. You approach him with awe. You approach him with fear. You approach him with praise because he's the king. I was watching we actually we watched last night the Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe. Any uh, C.S. Lewis fan, I mean, Narnia fans, right? It's great. I love it. Uh, remember the scene where uh, the, the Pevensey kids meet Mr. Beaver, and he, he takes them to his home, and he's, they're beginning to talk about the prophecy that, that is to be fulfilled, and, and they begin to talk about Aslan. And the Pevensies are confused. They don't know who Aslan is. Mr. Beaver responds, and this is what he says. He says, well, he's only the king of the whole wood, the top geezer, the real king of Narnia. Now, there's a, there's a fake ruler in Narnia, right? Jadis, the white witch. Um, Aslan is the one true king. The sovereign one. The Pevensey's didn't know Aslan yet, but they would come to know him, and they would soon see how he would affect their lives. So here's my question about Jesus: um, When we understand these truths about God's sov- uh, gracious Savior, righteous Judge, sovereign King of the whole universe. It, we come to a point in the road where we have to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. Am I going to follow him as king? Am I going to worship and bow down? That's the right response. Or am I going to do my own thing? Am I going to live my life my way? Try to make my own form of salvation. How has Jesus shown himself to be king of the world? What has He done to affect our lives? What will He yet do in the future? You can read over and over all the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming, right? And the prophecies that will be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming. How He died, how He was raised from the dead. He showed Himself to His disciples, to hundreds of other people. I always say this about the resurrection. If the Romans could have found a dead body, I'm telling you they would have, but they didn't. He's alive. He's alive in heaven. He's alive inside of us through His spirit. Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. You can jot down Revelation 19 when Jesus comes back and he's on the war horse says first that he's faithful and true. Those are beautiful words, right? Jesus is faithful. He's true. He will keep his promises. He always has. He always will. And it also says that on his leg is written, King of kings and Lord of lords, the sovereign king of the universe. Turn real quick to Matthew chapter 1, and then we'll move to Matthew 28, and then we're going to come toward a, a close here in just a few minutes. This truth that Jesus is the king of the whole earth, the king of the whole universe. I believe the Bible teaches it over and over and over. Um, His kingdom will know no end, right? Uh, His dominion will go on forever and ever. We read about that in, in Daniel chapter 7. We read about that throughout Isaiah. We see it in the book of Revelation But look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew was written to the Jewish people. They would have known the the covenants in the Old Testament. They would have known the promises that God made to Abraham, that God was going to bless Abraham so that the nations could be blessed, right? They would have known the covenant that God made with David, that there's going to be a king on the throne forever and ever. The question is who's the one that's going to come and be that blessing? to all the nations. Who's the one that's going to come and be the king that reigns forever and ever? Matthew 1:1 helps answer that question. It says this: An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Everything that the Old Testament points to, it's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus, the son of David, the king who reigns forever. Jesus, the son of Abraham, the one who would come and be a blessing to all of the nations. That's what Matthew's saying in his very first verse. Now, look at Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. I think that Matthew bookends his gospel with Jesus is the king forever who comes to bless the nations, Matthew 1 with Jesus in Matthew 20. Jesus is the king forever who comes to bless the nations. Look at Matthew twenty eight eighteen through 20. And this is what it says. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority, heaven and earth. I.e., I'm the king forever. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Not only does he have all authority in heaven and on earth, he's the king, he sends us, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is king who blesses the nations. Here's the little twist at the end. He uses us to be the one who goes out to bless the nations in his name. Back to Psalm 67. If I think that God's grace and God's blessing is all about me, I'm just gonna live my best life now, right? I'm gonna do my thing my way. Hey, God, thank you so much. I'm blessed. Look at all this stuff I've got. That's not the plan. Psalm 67 points us to Matthew 28. The king has blessed us so that we can be a part of going to see that disciples are made among all of the nations the eternal king with all authority is sending us to do that work does that mean does that mean everybody in the room now needs to like sell out pack up and go to the other side of the world maybe right like i don't know <laughs> um but probably not. Does it mean some in the room should pack up and go to the other side of the world? Maybe. Right? Is there a, is there a blessing in that? Absolutely. Um, I've been thinking about this the last few days. Actually, we found out we can't go back. We, we served in China for uh, between 16 and 17 years. Uh, we can't go back there now because of some security concerns. Um, maybe one day we'll be able to, but I, I can't go back and see the friends that we worked with for years and years and years. Uh, Janice and Kanong. Uh, Janice uh, became a believer very early on as we were sharing the gospel with her. It was really our first year overseas. We saw Janice. We saw her sister. These are, these are Chinese people that we, we lived with and, and we got to know and we worked with. We saw Janice, we saw her sister, and we saw some family members begin to be, become Christian. Unbelievable. Janice's husband, Kanong, their, their, their marriage was a wreck, and he just, he just wouldn't believe. He was reading the Bible, he was thinking about it, but he just wouldn't believe. A year later, Kanong becomes a Christian. So over the last 25 years, He has pastored I don't know how many house churches. He would go in. He would help start this house church, raise people up, right? Train up those people who could lead that house church, and then boom, he goes and starts another house church. What does he do over here? He raises those people up, and then he goes and starts another house church. He's done that time and time and time again in one of the cities that we lived in. He did that while he was a a government uh, employee. So he's, a, he's an employee of the, of the communist government, and he's starting house churches all over this town that we lived in. Kanong helped train um, a guy named Shao uh, He. Shao He grew up in a village in the foothills of the Himalayas. Uh, nobody in his village had ever heard about Jesus. Shao He comes to the town that we lived in. Uh, he, gets, uh, he becomes a believer. Kanong helps train him up in the faith. Shao he worked with us for a number of years with another people group that we were working with. He saw us doing some language translation work with that people group. And when we left to come back to the States in 2012, Shao he and his wife told us, he said, we want to go back to our people and do that translation work as well so that they can hear the gospel in their language, they can understand it, and they can become believers. What's Shao he been doing for the last 10 years? He's helping translate the New Testament, into a language that's never heard the gospel before so that his family, his friend, his people make disciples of all nations. This people group is hearing the gospel because this... You, you know when the NFL draft takes place, you've got the first rounders and the second rounders and then the third round. By the time you get to the end, you've got what right, they can call them Mr. Irrelevant. If I was, like, in the draft pick, I would have been Mr. Irrelevant, right? <laughs> That's probably most of us at some level. Sorry if I'm insulting you, but none of us are all that impressive, right? We, these everyday, normal, unimpressive strugglers, by the grace of God, end up on the other side of the world, cobble together enough local language to make friends Tell people about Jesus. Train them up a little bit in the faith. And God is blessing hundreds and thousands. My prayer is tens of thousands of people through that work. God may be calling you to go do that. Here's the the kicker. God may be calling your kids or grandkids to go do that. How beautiful would that be? There are still thousands of unreached people groups all over the world. The International Mission Board has a program right now to engage 300 of the most unengaged. Those that are we would call the most lost, the, the ones who have the least amount of access to the gospel. I and mean, I'm talking hundreds, thousands of miles away from anybody who would profess Jesus as Lord. Sending people into these areas to gather information about these people groups so that we can begin to engage them better and more with the gospel. When you support the International Mission Board, you're helping support that. When you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, um, you're you're giving to that kind of work. There are over 3,000 International Mission Board missionaries right now on the other side of the world doing the work that God's called them to among the nations, There's another 1,200 missionaries in the pipeline preparing to go. And when we give to Lottie Moon, when we give to the cooperative program, when we give and support these things, we are a part of Psalm 67 work. We are a part of Matthew 28 work. Maybe God's calling you to go. Uh, Maybe God's calling you to give. Uh, Sorry. Maybe God's calling you to go. To the other side of the world. He's definitely calling you to give, right? <laughs> uh, and um, it's not a money hungry thing. We want to go to the other side of the world. Um, he's definitely calling you to pray. Uh, I'd say he's also calling you to go. Not everybody can go to the other side of the world. We had this couple that came over. Uh, we worked in a tough place. I'm sorry, now I'm going over because I'm starting to tell stories about China, but the food's not here yet, so it's okay. Um, we, we, we did agricultural work among our people group and uh, we started some coffee farms, and and, uh, even though we didn't know anything about coffee, have I told y'all a story before about how we got a call from the government official that we had opened this cafe because we need a visa, right? We live in a closed country. We have to have a way to live there, so we we need visas. We open up a cafe that helps us get visas. It also serves coffee. We like to drink coffee, so it's like win-win, right? Um, So because we're foreigners, we're Westerners, and because we love coffee, and because we've got a cafe, we are coffee experts. So the government official calls me one day, and he's like, hey, we're thinking about buying a coffee farm. I need you to go with us to look at these coffee trees so you can tell us if they're good or not. I've never seen a coffee tree in my life. I've drank a lot of coffee, right, but I've never grown any coffee. So I had a guy on my team, uh, Dave Maxson. Uh, He used to be a pilot for American Airlines, Uh, retired, and he's like, "I, I still got a lot of gas left in the tank, right? I'm not done. So he and his wife came over, and they lived with us for years on the other side of the world, helping us engage unreached people groups. So I called Dave that afternoon. I'm like, hey, tomorrow morning, we're going to look at coffee trees. I need you to become an expert in the next 12 hours. So boom, he's on it. He's learned everything he can. And we get there, kind of that fake it till you make it sort of a thing, right? But God blesses our feeble efforts. Um, I don't know if they bought the coffee farm or not, but uh, coffee was a good way for us to do that. Uh, Dave and his wife, God had clearly told them to come and, and to work with us for that time. There was another couple that was an older couple. They really wanted to come work with us. And I told them, like, you guys just can't do it. I'm sorry. It, it's too strenuous, the work, you can't climb the mountain, you can't do the things that need to be done, but they lived in Oklahoma, lost, lost place, nothing like West Virginia, right, and so, no, I'm uh, they lived in Oklahoma, I said, be a witness where you are, right, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, be a witness where you are, be an advocate for what's happening on the other side of the world, and find ways to help support work everywhere. So I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know exactly what God is calling you to, but I pray that it's Psalm 67 work. I pray that it's Matthew 28 work. All of it goes together. Here's, I will close. This is something we need to be beware of. Don't disconnect God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose for our lives. It is so easy to sit in the blessing of God, to sit under the blessing of God and just enjoy it and let comfort win the day. When we do that, we're, we're missing out on the purpose, the opportunity that we have to take that blessing and use it for God's glory. Look at verse 6 and 7, then we'll close. The earth has produced its harvest. God, Our God blesses us. Now that... That's talking about a physical harvest. So you can imagine the Hebrews singing this psalm and looking out at the harvest that has come in, right? Barns full, grain everywhere. Wow. Look what God's given to me. All this stuff. We are going to eat good this next year. And I would say, be careful. When God blesses us, it's not ours to keep. We are stewards of those blessings. Jesus is the king. We're the stewards, we're the servants. and we go do with that blessing whatever it is He tells us to do. Let me pray. God thank you for uh, Thank you for the beauty of your word. God how you are gracious to us and you bless us and your face shines on us. God, especially we see that in Jesus. God, thank you for uh, the good news that we can be saved through his work on the cross. And God, I pray that we would be people who are sent out to do the work that you've called us to so that your way might be known on earth your salvation among all of the peoples. God, I pray for Cross Point Family Church. I pray for the community here in Winfield. God, I pray for Putnam County. I pray for the witness that this church is here. God, I pray that you would bless that. God, I pray that this church would continue to be a witness here across the state and to the ends of the earth, whatever that looks like. So, God, we we give our lives to you. And we ask that they would result in your name being glorified and all the peoples praising you. In Jesus' name, amen.